Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to the Weekly Grill, brought to you by Beef Central and Alenco Animal Health. Today, one of the most complicated and misunderstood topics facing the beef industry and indeed regional and rural Australia today, the subject, carbon credits. What are they? How do they work? And what's in it for beef producers and their properties? To help us on the way, I'm joined by Toby Grogan from Impact Agriculture, which operates out of Armadale in northern New South Wales. Toby is the National Capital Manager of Impact Ag. Toby, welcome. Thanks, Kerry. Thanks for having me on. Toby, you will well and truly be on the grill today because I suspect a lot of uh, listeners to our podcast don't know much about carbon credits. So first up, let's explain what is a carbon credit? So a carbon credit is one tonne of CO2 equivalent, atmospheric CO2 equivalent, that has been sequestered or it has been avoided in its emissions or reduced in its emissions. So uh, a lot of industrial businesses will um, improve their technology to reduce their emissions and, and in some cases get a carbon credit for that. Other businesses will avoid emissions. They might get renewable energy, so they're avoiding emissions. In the land sector and in agriculture, we're often talking about sequestered carbon and getting a carbon credit from sequestering carbon in soil or in vegetation. Toby, how much knowledge and understanding is there out there in the farming and grazing properties about carbon credits? So there's a there's a whole range. You know, some people have been working on this carbon space for over a decade, and and it's been a case. Uh, it's been one of those sectors where there's been a lot of talk and not a lot of action over the last ten to twenty years. So there is a range of uh, levels of expertise in the industry or awareness in the industry. Some of those early adopters are now reaping the benefits of participating in some of these markets. But I think in general, across the sector, there is a low level of awareness and understanding, and that speaks to the complexity of um, carbon markets, carbon methods, uh, avenues available for farmers to participate. It does feel complicated because it is complicated. It is difficult to get your head around it because, you know, there is just so much information and often varying information around how to participate and, and what your first steps in participating might look like. Now, the strikingly obvious question for me and a lot of listeners, I suspect, is how can an Aussie farmer or grazier make money out of carbon credits? The simple answer is they they commence a soil carbon project. They sequester carbon uh, or, or, um, in their soils or vegetations in most instances. There are other methods such as savannah burning and herd methods, but just for today's grill, I'll, I'll focus on um, soil and vegetation and in both instances, there's a, a method available to them or a range of methods available to them um, that verify uh, the carbon that they are sequestering in their vegetation and soil. Um, and once verified, they get awarded a carbon credit, which they can then transact. So that's probably the most simple way to describe it. In reality, there is both regulated and private markets globally advancing at a rate of knots. So when I say regulated, something backed by government, um, government legislation, uh, often sponsored by um, government funding. What's the minimum scale needed to make a property viable for carbon credits? I mean, do you need a 50,000 acre block or can you do it on a three or 400 acre block or what? I should well, say this is where some of the complexity comes into it because it really depends on the type of farm that you've got 
where it's located and the type of method. So to date, for vegetation methods, there is scale requirement, and most of those vegetation methods are in rangelands in western New South Wales and Queensland and Western Australia. So in those parts of the world, um, there is scale required. But depending on that vegetation community, 20,000 acres might be sufficient. In soil carbon, there is you know, some fixed overheads in participating in a soil carbon project. So I say to people, it's sort of a few hundred hectares or greater as a standalone project, but there are people solving for that by aggregating different farms to get that scale as well. Now, so from starting the process uh, to the first money transfer into the grazier's account, how long might that take? Soil carbon project, you're talking three to five years from registration of a project to the first uh, measurement event post um, baselining, so your first crediting event, and that's typically three to five years. Under a vegetation method, that can be from your first year and participating in a project depending on the state of your vegetation. Where are the uh, carbon credits sold and is the market regulated in the terms in terms of there is somebody watching over it to make sure all is uh, above board? So there's private markets um, internationally uh, that are verified by private businesses, so not regulated so much by government. In Australia, we are very fortunate that we have the option of a regulated market, the Climate Solution Fund, regulated by the Clean Energy Regulator. And it's the clean energy regulator that approves methods, approves the projects and ensures that those projects uh, adhere to the project and method requirements. So that's you know, a great thing that, that exists in Australia and, and a great avenue for farmers to explore. But these carbon credits, so you're monetizing uh, the non-used assets of a property, it, it seems to me. Is that, is that how you might put it? Yeah, I think it's it's monetizing, you know, natural capital that that farmers utilize, farmers manage, farmers are the stewardship of this natural capital, their soil and the vegetation on their property. So it's just recognizing the public good that they are providing in doing so. And there is governments, businesses around the world that are willing to pay for that public good. So just like an industrial uh, facility might get a carbon credit from reducing emissions so too should a farmer if they are managing their soils and vegetation in a, in a manner that, that sequesters carbon on their farm. So those carbon credits are then treated as an, an asset to be included in the value of that particular property? I think so. So this is a sort of the next phase of these carbon credits. Um, at the moment, due to a lack of understanding, a lack of adoption, they're not sort of treated as an additional asset, but as we see more successful projects um, be financially rewarded for these projects, they will, I think, start to be counted against um, asset values. And I think the first place that that's starting to happen is in some of those rangeland vegetation projects when they're now starting to drive some of the property values out there because you know, carbon's increasing, people have a greater level of confidence and understanding of how those projects work in that part of the So the carbon credits can be transferred from one owner to the next? That's right. So the project under the regulated market in Australia um, is linked to the land parcel. So um, the owner of that land parcel is, is getting awarded those credits and they can sell or hold those credits and they can transfer through with the property or they can... Um, be sold and the project and property um, goes on to a new owner and future credits are the, are the uh, awarded to the future owner. 
So you've got a property, a grazer out west, you've got a property and you've adopted the carbon credit regime and you sell those credits. When that grazier decides to sell his or her uh, branded beef, are they entitled to use the word carbon credit to, uh, apply to this branding, et cetera, et cetera, in the marketing of that beef? Yeah, it's a complicated question. So there is a lot of uh, rules and regulation around double dipping, around selling a credit and then saying that your farm is carbon neutral. In the case of a soil carbon project, um, the credits that are awarded for sale have to take into consideration all emissions on farm. So all the diesel that's burnt, the fertiliser that's fed, the methane emissions from the livestock themselves. Uh, and they're all removed from the available credits of sale. So you're only selling surplus credits. So in my opinion, the farm at that point is carbon neutral. I'm going to move on to the, the, the question about Microsoft and their involvement in Australian carbon credits. But first, give us a rough idea of how many Australian properties are involved in the carbon credit business at present. So at the moment, there's about 150 farms with registered soil carbon projects under the Climate Solution Fund, the regulated market in Australia. There would be uh, a couple of hundred farms participating in vegetation projects and some of the other methods, uh, including savannah burning and herd methodology, would be less than that. But uh, primarily it's vegetation. Um, that's where most of the credits have been generated and the, the current uh, method of growth is soil carbon credits. Now, Microsoft and Bill Gates, I don't assume Bill Gates got on the phone and said, it's Bill Gates here, I want to buy some carbon credits. How did you lobby or how did they come to you to get involved in the carbon credit schemes here in Australia? So that was the Wilmont Cattle Company who we work with. Um, they have been successfully sequestering carbon on their property for a number of years through uh, livestock and grazing management. They've also, um, through that journey, been collecting a lot of data that's demonstrated their performance in sequestering soil carbon. We have been sharing that data with a whole range of organisations looking at this carbon market space. One of those was uh, the Regen Network in the US who've got a private carbon market. And long story short, they used the Wilmot Cattle Company soil data and lots of other supporting farm data to verify soil carbon credit. Um, Microsoft are seeking to offset all their emissions and have an annual invitation to tender for people to sell them carbon credits. Last year was their first tender process for procuring carbon credits. They had hundreds of applications. They picked you know, less than 21 of those was the Wilmot Cattle Company credits through the Regen Network. Um, they liked those credits because they were nature-based, as in um, sequestered in nature, and also because of some of the co-benefits around it. Some of the things that, that Regen Network, Microsoft, and others like about these type of credits is, you know, there's still primary production on farm. There's lots of co-benefits around assurances for, in regards to animal welfare, biodiversity, ecosystem health, as well as a carbon credit. So while the Wilmot Cattle Company has Climate Solution Fund, um, a Climate Solution Fund soil carbon project, so they're pursuing regulated carbon markets, they also um, wanted to explore other opportunities and be a sort of innovator or 
or leader in trying to establish some other avenues for farmers to get paid for sequestering carbon on their farms. And, and that Microsoft deal is, is an example of that. Can you tell us how much money was involved in this deal for the Wilmot Cattle Company? Uh, commercial incompetence or is it? It is commercial incompetence around um, price of credits and things like that. But I think um, you know, it's been well publicised that uh, the Wilmot Cattle Company received about um, $500,000 over a three or four year period um, of sequestration and um, that's after cost. So from a demonstration point of view, that really shows that businesses like Microsoft and there's hundreds of their size and shape uh, around the world really uh, are looking for these nature-based solutions and are willing to pay a premium for a product that's comes with some of the co-benefits I spoke to for the Wilmot Cattle Company. The other thing with, with the Microsoft deal and, and with Regen, they both recognise that, that the method that they used and the process to certify those carbon credits um, is going to improve over the next few to several years as well and we'll need to increase in the, the accuracy of that measurement as well and they're willing to um, similar to the Wilmot Cattle Company, they're willing to participate in these markets to establish them and assist in the improvement of the verification processes used. So on one side in Australia, you've got the option of the regulated market, which is the, the um, most, uh, the, the, probably the highest standard of soil carbon credit in the world today under our regulated system. You've also got opportunity for a, a many evolving private markets, um, particularly in North America and Europe as well. Time for a break from Carbon Credits. We'll be back in a moment. Akatak Duostar from Alanco provides knockdown and residual control of cattle ticks and ivermectin-sensitive parasites. Applied early in the season, Akatak Duostar reduces the buildup of the tick population and helps to prolong the life of effective chemistry. Give ticks and worms the flick with Akatak Duostar. Always read and follow the label directions and ensure good agricultural practice for optimal parasite control. Welcome back to uh, On The Grill and the subject today, carbon credits. Our guest, Toby Grogan from Impact Agriculture. I've seen examples or I've heard examples of some graziers claiming that the money they're making from carbon credits is almost equal to the money they're making from the cattle from the property. Is that a fair assessment or that might be a bit of a hyperbole? No, I think particularly in those vegetation um, carbon projects in Western New South Wales, Queensland, there certainly would be cases now with an increasing carbon price where carbon projects, the carbon um, income off the farm would exceed that of the grazing enterprise, either the grazing enterprise that was established, that was on farm prior to the vegetation, or in a lot of cases, you've got vegetation and a grazing enterprise coexisting on the one farm. Um, and that, uh, there'd be more revenue getting generated off the carbon project. I'm going to point to a couple of possible negatives that are floating around at the moment. And one of them is, I'm sure you've heard this, that locally when land is locked up, sometimes it causes real employment problems in Western communities where a property might block out 
a huge portion of their of their of their land for for use and therefore employing people, and it's contributing to the degrada degradation degradation. Beg your pardon of some parts of rural Australia. In fact, yeah, I think that's um, you know they're real concerns. If if you've got large scale vegetation projects in those western rangeland zones um, that result in those farms getting locked up and not actively managed and the livestock removed from that landscape in its entirety, then I think that's a valid argument that, you know, that, that potentially negatively impacts those communities out there and, and those primary producers out there as well. I think there there is another argument, you know, there is conditions associated with those carbon projects that that land has to be actively managed, pests, weeds, fire management, et cetera as well as as participants in those carbon projects gain a higher level of confidence on how those carbon projects are operated, there is often, um, and this should be you know, ideally a standard case where you've got a carbon project on a farm coexisting with a form of primary produce in that part of the world, it's livestock. Um, so you've got, you know, a carbon might be your larger revenue stream, but you're still supporting the primary produce of the of of um, that region, that local government area. And in that case, if that's the way those projects can be established and, and maintained, then they're actually a benefit to those areas, you know, because in those rangeland areas, as climate continues to evolve, it's going to be more and more challenging to maintain um, livestock enterprises in those parts of the world. So a carbon credit, a carbon market that's available to those producers may secure their their ongoing livestock business in that part of the world. There is some dodgy stuff going on, though, in carbon credits, overseas at least. I'm not, one would hope that it wouldn't happen in Australia, but I, I cite the example in Cambodia where there was a lot of money paid to protect a substantial forest, and within a few years of the deal being done, almost half the forest had been logged, and that was proven by satellite imagery. And there was another one in Brazil where FIFA actually purchased 250,000 carbon credits as part of a deal to have Brazil host the 2014 World Cup. And most of the forest since has been cut down and uh, there's clear evidence of that. Could that happen, uh, the rules that loose, that it could happen in Australia? So I think there are risks with the private markets um, as they evolve and, uh, you know, that is something that, that, uh, purchases and suppliers of you know, this product, carbon, needs to be conscious of. Uh, that is uh, much less an issue under a regulated market such as the one we've got operating in Australia, the Climate Solution Fund. If, if, if so, those type uh, of stories are a, you know, a worry to participants, then um, head down the regulated path is, would be my advice. So can Aussie farmers be uh, confident about the long-term viability and integrity of a carbon credits trading scheme in Australia? I think so. So those methods that are available in Australia are typically considered some of the, the, the highest standards globally. The uh, clean energy regulator and that market has survived several prime ministers and forms of government. Every uh, new government is continuing to support it. The Morrison um, government is no uh, exception. So. It is the federal government's primary tool to meet the Paris targets that they've committed to. As their commitments need to increase, it will continue to be a the primary tool in managing Australia's emissions reductions. 
the methods associated with that market, as I said, some of the highest in the world, uh, and the process involved around uh, verifying and issuing those credits uh, is considered some of the highest in the world as well. So we've got a, a product under that market called the Australian Credit Carbon Unit that is highly tradable in Australia. Uh, and, and it's in a, a, a product that's in demand and appreciating in price. Toby Grogan, you're on a journey. I suspect it'll be a, a long, long road, but thank you for coming on The Grill and enlightening us on carbon credits. Good luck in the future, Toby, and thank you again. Thanks for your time, Kerry. And thank you for joining me today. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan, and this is The Weekly Grill, brought to you by Beef Central and our podcast partner, Elenco Animal Health. <laughs>